0: Welcome to Craft Life, episode 15, Bound to be Creative. In this episode, we'll discover the deep and conflicting relationships we have with sheep. I'll discuss how setting creative boundaries can be helpful. And we'll finally set the record straight on what it means to be a typical knitter. All this coming up in this episode of Craft Life, the podcast all about living the creative life. Hello and welcome back to episode 15. Any of you returning listeners out there? If you're brand new, I'd like to say a special welcome to you and thank you for stopping by and I hope you come back and check out episode 16 as well. We have a lot of things to cover in this episode, so I'm just going to jump right in feet first and get started. The first thing I would like to tell you about is something for you holiday knitters out there. There are many people who like to knit uh, most of, if not all, of their Christmas gifts and power to those brave souls who are doing that. I am not personally one of them, um, but I admire people who are taking on that challenge. If you are not quite up to that level of the challenge, but you would still like to gift those you love with a knitted item, I'd like to point you to a very special website. In this particular website, you can knit your very own virtual, terrifically tacky Christmas sweater. That's right. This is at Com. Now, of course, I would not point you to a website that really is run by people who hate sheep. I believe the people who are running the We Love Holiday Sweaters part of the website um, are an advertising firm. and, And their whole thing is that they like to stand out from the crowd and not be part of the crowd or what they would term sheep. So that's what they mean by We Hate Sheep. I don't think they really hate sheep. At any rate, head over to this website. It is a lot of fun. You can choose your sweater style and your sweater color, and then you can go wild with all manner of Christmas things to add to the sweater. You know the sweaters that I'm talking about. Uh, You may have worn them before. You may have family members who wear them, but you know the tacky Christmas sweater. No Christmas is complete without it. So check out WeLoveHolidaySweaters.WeHateSheep.com and knit up a ton of virtual sweaters to send along to your family and friends because once you complete it, you can, you can just email it on. And that takes care of your Christmas knitting all in one fell swoop. And you know what? You'll have it done by the weekend. Now we've discussed the people who have the hate part of the love-hate relationship with sheep. Now I'd like to point you towards some people who, who really love their sheep. I discovered mutton busting for the first time this week. If you don't know what that is. You are not alone. As I said, I just discovered it. It is something akin to rodeo for children. The website for the mutton busting championships says one child, one sheep, six seconds. And that really pretty much sums it up. Um, it is a rodeo in which children have six seconds to hang on for dear life to the back of a sheep and try to not get thrown off. Now, Apologies to those of you who are already getting excited about entering this. It, you do have to be a child. You do have to be between the ages of, I believe it was three and six, and you have to be less than 60 pounds. I know I'm completely counted out of that. But you can have the chance to watch this, this lively spectacle in action. According to their website, they have already come through my part of the country. They were here back in February, and they do a tour around the country and all of the winners of their, of their local mutton-bustin' tournament, they get a chance to compete for the World Finals at the PBR World Finals in Las Vegas, October 25th to 29th. That is next week if you are listening to this in real time, so it's super exciting. On the Mutton Bustin' website, uh, here's what they have to say about the competition. What could be more fun for a child than sitting on a sheep and holding on tight to experience the most extreme sport for their age group? For kids, there is no better ride to be found. That's straight from the Wool Riders Only Mutton Bustin' Championship website. It's really cute. They've got pictures of these kids and. <laughs> They look like they're scared to death and having fun all at the same time. So I will I will try to put a picture of one of these these little children having a having a ride on the sheep up on the show notes for you to take a look at. And I will definitely link to the woolwarriors.com website so you can go there and uh, and kind of get a feel for for what's going on with the mutton busting yourselves. Now we are halfway through the month of October, and that means that the Treacle and Ink Etsy shop is still going pink for breast cancer. All the proceeds from everything sold in the shop during the month of October are going to be donated to Susan G. Komen for the cure. So if you're interested in picking up maybe something a little vintage, maybe something a little knitted, and definitely something that's got some pink in it, head over to the Treacle Inc. Ink Etsy shop. There is a pink button in the right-handed column on the show notes, um, the blog page where the show notes will be listed, but I will also link to the shop in the show notes in case you you kind of skim over that pink button and it doesn't quite catch your eye. So head on over to and and have a look around. And that is about all of my current sheepy news and update on the breast cancer sale, so let's get going with the rest of the show. Sometimes it is so difficult for me to make decisions. If you'd like to keep me busy for quite a while, as well as give me a furrowed brow and a tight feeling in my chest, stand me in front of a well-stocked vending machine and give me 50 cents. Do I want something salty or sweet? Let's go with salty. Well, I could get some chips, pretzels, crackers, or peanuts, or I could be good and get that sweet and salty granola bar down in the bottom right corner. Of course, I know that it's just dressed up to look healthy, so if I'm going to ingest that many calories, I might as well go for something I'll enjoy more. Chips it is. But what kind? Well, cheese flavor is almost always a winner. I only go for barbecue flavor every now and then. I think I may be feeling that now is one of those now-and-then times. I should probably get those barbecue chips. But what if I bite into that first chip and then realize that now is actually not one of those now-and-then times and I'm stuck with a bag of barbecue chips that I only sort of like, instead of the cheesy ones that I always love as well as an empty pocket? Rewind. Now stand me in front of a vending machine that hasn't been stocked in days. This machine contains a few bags of pretzels, a chocolate bar, some mixed nuts, and a pack of chewing gum. Within seconds, I have slipped my quarters into the machine, pressed the appropriate button, and walked away, happily popping a pretzel into my mouth. Sometimes, tackling a creative project can feel like standing in front of that full vending machine. What is this project going to be about? Where do I even begin? Sure, it's great to feel like you have unlimited possibilities ahead of you, but in many creative situations, working within constraints can actually help the creative process. The best example of this idea that I have encountered is within the realm of short form improv comedy. This is the type of improv that you would have seen if you have ever watched the television show Whose Line Is It Anyway? In this type of performance, the actors are given a suggestion, usually from a member of the audience, and they then have to immediately make up and perform a scene based on that suggestion. At first glance, it might seem like the lightsaber-made-of-pudding suggestion would be pretty difficult to build into a scene, but in actuality, the suggestion, no matter how crazy or far-fetched it may sound helps the creative process of the performers by giving them a starting point and a direction in which to focus their creativity. If I say to you, tell me a story, well, what comes to mind? Now what if I said, tell me a story about bears? This creativity within limits is a tactic which I have also employed in other areas of my life. This week, Adam and I will be celebrating our sixth wedding anniversary, The very first year we were married, I made the decision to base my anniversary gifts to him off of the traditional anniversary gift list. I don't really remember why I decided to do that, maybe I thought it was a little old fashioned and romantic. Using this list as a starting point has helped me to come up with some gift ideas that I may not have otherwise devised. Year one was paper. What meaningful gift that is made from paper can you give a 21st century guy? After much brainstorming and consideration, I composed a sonnet, printed it on fine linen paper, and presented it to him in a frame. Year two was cotton. Year three, leather. Year four was flowers and fruit, and also a disaster. I packed a picnic lunch and took him on a road trip to a rose garden, which ended up being closed that day because someone had booked it for a wedding. Then we drove to a pumpkin patch to pick out Halloween pumpkins and go on a hayride. Unfortunately, it had rained the day before, and the whole farm was one giant mud puddle. It was also overrun with elementary schoolers, whom we had to dodge in the corn maze and wrestle for our pumpkins. The day rounded out not too poorly with a trip to a winery, but on the ride home, I decided that buying him a video game from his wish list would have been much more appreciated. Year five was wood, and it more than made up for the ultimate fail of year four. I purchased a wooden sign from an Etsy seller and had the words Adam's Man Cave carved into it. I secretly converted a small, unfinished room that we had just off of the garage into a space just for him. If you have listened to episode 14, you heard him mention the man cave. It is still much loved and frequently utilized. The real gift that year was the man cave, and the wooden sign was just a small part of the whole. But pondering wooden gifts led me to thoughts of carpentry, which eventually led to the idea of converting our unused space Using the traditional anniversary gifts list as a guideline may seem, on the surface, like it puts heavy restrictions on my gift-giving options, but in reality, it provides a good foundation on which I can build creative ideas. If you are having difficulties finding a starting point, just start somewhere. One of the three general improv rules that I play by is, say the first thing that comes into your head. It may not be perfect, but it's usually honest and gives you somewhere to go. If you find yourself confronted with a plethora of possibilities as you tackle a creative task, don't be afraid to set boundaries. So, what's on the menu for year six? Iron and candy. Just think on that for a while. Y'all. Pronoun. Definition. The second person plural pronoun which refers to people being addressed or written to. Usage. Example. I hope y'all have a good time at the state fair. If you have spent any time in the Craft Life Ravelry group, you have noticed a little thread there for Southernisms. That's for you to post your favorite Southernisms, either that I've talked about on the show or that I haven't yet even mentioned and maybe you'd like for me to talk about. One Southernism in particular popped up this week, and that is y'all. Now, I had, in the early days, considered doing y'all for one of my Southernisms, and I I just decided, you know, it has become so widely spread. It is not just localized to the south anymore. I I hear people from all parts of the country using the word y'all, so So maybe maybe I'll just kind of leave that one alone. However, it's popped up in the thread this week So I figured I would just chime in and give my two cents on the word y'all Now of course in proper English language the word you y-o-u is both singular and plural, but in the south Just to make sure we know which is which, just to make sure we know who is being addressed, uh, we change the plural form of you to you all. Y apostrophe A-L-L. So you have you for singular and y'all for plural. Now, if you are addressing a large group of people, um, maybe you would, you you want to make sure they all know that they're included. And that is whenever you would add all in front of y'all. So you for one person, y'all for a group of people, and all y'all refers to a large group of people. Just wanna make sure that everyone in that group knows that they're included. So you would say all y'all. Now, I've done a little bit of looking around the internet to see what others would have to say and there is a duly departed Southern writer by the name of Louis Grizzard, and he wrote a whole essay on the use of the word "y'all." I would encourage you to Google it and check it out if you if you'd like a little more, if you if you'd like a different take, perhaps on the word "y'all." But one thing he did point out that I would also just like to note: the word "y'all" is never ever used to refer to a single person. This evidently is is sometimes a misconception that in the South, we use the word y'all to just refer to one individual. That, that's totally grammatically incorrect. We would never do such a thing. So if I'm talking to you, I talk to you. If I'm talking to you and your mother, I might be talking to y'all. And if I'm talking to you, your mother, and the rest of your extended family, I'm talking to all y'all. So I hope that helps to clear up maybe any little bits of mystery surrounding the word y'all. And thanks to Secret Squire and Spinning Gal for throwing that one out there. So, y'all feel free to spread it around and use it as much as possible. I am very excited to talk with you about my recent knitting and crafting and creative activities over the past week because there has really been quite a variety. First off, I have finished the Holden Chalet by Mindy Wilkes. It is finished. It is blocked, and it has even already been worn once. I was so excited to finish it and block it that I wore it the very next day. On Saturday, I was I w- had about two rows left, and I very excitedly tweeted that I was going to be finished with it by the end of the day. Well. Then I got to the bind off and discovered it was a pico bind off. This is my first time ever doing a pico bind off. And for those of you who have not yet done this, um, for every one stitch that is officially bound off, you've really cast on two and bound off four. So there's a lot of work to just bind off one stitch. And by the time I got to the end of this chalet, I had over 300 stitches on the needles. So um, so yes, my, my very prideful tweet about finishing it on Saturday, yeah, that was a little premature. I did get maybe about a fourth of the way through the bind off on Saturday and then finished the rest on Sunday, and that's when I blocked it. So it took quite a long time, but I have now learned a new knitting skill, which is always something that I, I try to do with every new big project. So this was my Pico Bind Off learning project, which was great. Once I finished the Holden Chalette, it was, of course, time to move on to a new project, but I didn't have a new one picked out yet. So I looked back through my Ravelry queue and discovered I had put the French Press Felted Slippers by Melinda Bernardi on there a while back. I'd already purchased the pattern. I was just waiting for the right yarn, the right time to knit it. Well, now is the time. So I went to my stash, which does not have a lot of wool that I'm ready to use for felting in it. Um, it does still have a lot of acrylic, which I'm kind of trying to weed out, kind of trying to build up maybe some some nicer fibers. But one of the things that I do have in my stash that's full of wool is sweaters. I do try to keep my eyes open when I'm out shopping at thrift stores or garage sales for, for 100% wool sweaters that I may can deconstruct and reclaim the yarn from. And I found this lovely, Heathered gray, sort of a charcoaly gray, 100% wool sweater, and I thought these are going to be perfect for these felted slippers. Now, this is the third sweater I've attempted to deconstruct. The first two were made of of yarn that was just too fine a gauge to to be pulled from a, a sweater that was already machine knitted or already full of cables or just just had already had a lot of stress put on it. Thankfully, the wool in this Heather, heathery gray sweater is is about worsted weight, and it is coming apart like a dream. I have already unraveled one of the sleeves. It was put on my knitting knotty. It was soaked to get the kinks out and dried, and it's come, out. it's come out great. It's on my yarn swift right now, ready to be wound up and to be used to make those French press felted slippers. So that's kind of what I'm working on now. I've still got to do some more deconstruction on that sweater before I start knitting, but I'm pretty close. Now, in exciting news for my knitting learning journey, um, I have signed up to attend the Perfect Sweater class taught by Isolde Teague. It's happening this Friday. I know Green Triangle Girl of the A Playful Day podcast has taken this same class, and she was kind enough to field some questions for me earlier in the week, and she had nothing but great things to say about it, and I am so excited about going. I just got my copy of Little Red in the City in the mail yesterday. I've kind of done a quick flip through because I don't really want to dive into the book until I get to the class because the book is, is sort of the textbook for the class. Um, but I can tell you now it is, let's see, it's got over 200 pages and I think six patterns. So what does that tell you? It tells you there's a lot of technique and a lot of, of, um, of teaching in this book. and I'm very excited to to dive into it it does appear to be sort of in a workbook format it's got blanks where i can fill in appropriate stitch counts based on my exact measurements for these sweaters and one of the things that i love about this book is that if you buy the hard copy there is a code in the back that you can enter in on ravelry and it will automatically deliver the ebook format into your ravelry queue which means i don't have to write in this pretty little book i can print out the pages from ravelry and write on those and kind of keep my book in nice condition. So I haven't done that yet, but I'm looking forward to to doing that and then having those as a worksheet so I don't have to mess up my book. It's going to be great. Now my other creative endeavor that I'm into right now is I have accepted a position as the musical director for the musical Scrooge, which is put on by the Pocket Sandwich Theater here in Dallas, Texas. And what's unique about this particular show, this is the 30th anniversary of of the show Scrooge as performed by the Pocket Sandwich Theater. They have done this as their Christmas musical every year for 30 years. And actually, the gentleman who plays the role of Ebenezer Scrooge, this is his 18th consecutive year playing that role. So it's it's kind of a fun, kind of a fun big deal. It's a dinner theater, which is great. It's it's fun to be an audience member in a dinner theater. Um, I have been in the cast of this particular show before, but I have never been the musical director. So it's 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 a little bit of a new adventure. It's definitely taking on the show from a different angle, but I'm, I'm very excited about that. If you've ever participated in a theater production, you know that there is a lot of time involved. And this is going to be the case for me as well, especially being the music director. Um, pretty much throughout the month of November and December, Um, most of my nights are going to be dedicated to rehearsals and and getting things ready for this show. Now, this does not mean that the podcast is not going to be going on in November and December. I'm going to do everything that I can to continue to bring you a bi-weekly podcast. Now, with that said, I may have to fudge the weekends a little bit. This episode is coming out on a Monday night, and usually I try to release the episodes on saturday or sunday so you can have them by monday morning but with the way things are going it's kind of just when i can find the time to get my pieces put together so hopefully it will not be too much of an inconvenience for you um, but i will try to continue to have the podcast on a regular schedule just maybe with a little little fudging here and there so we're just going to kind of play it by ear and that is about all i've been up to not that it's a small bit it's actually quite a lot Um, but that That is what I've been up to over the past few weeks, and what is going to be filling my time for many weeks to come. I've been doing a little bit of thinking over the past few weeks or so about what it means to be, or or what is a typical knitter. Because of course, I've received the comments, and I'm, I'm sure some of you who are listening have received comments such as, oh, you... you." don't look old enough to be knitting, or, oh, I thought knitters were you know, more, more frumpy, or you fill in the blank with any type of preconceived ideas that people have about knitters. And um, and really, it, it comes down to the fact that there is no such thing as a typical knitter. You cannot pigeonhole knitters. We come in all shapes, all sizes. We come from all socioeconomic backgrounds, all different ages. I mean, you name it, if there's a difference, It's somewhere within the knitter communities. And knitting isn't just limited to to little old ladies. I mean, that's the stereotype that people have. And yes, little old ladies knit. And I hope when I'm a little old lady, I knit too. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that, that other people don't enjoy it as well. So that's kind of been what's on my mind. And yeah, I've decided that there is no such thing as a typical knitter.
1: I did a lot today At the office, in the store, in the subway I smiled at you but you look at me like maybe I'm a great big oddity Some strange mystery Yesterday you spied What I was doing and you flagrantly implied I did not look like what you think a knitter looks like. Will this always be my fate? It's time to educate you and set the record straight. Cause I stitch, I'm a mother. I'm your sister or your brother. Handed items, I make many. I just might be your granny. I'm a Las Vegas showgirl. and string. Put them together, I can make most anything. Baby booty scarves and sweaters or a life-size-knitted royal family. So what if I decide to make a toilet paper cozy? Cause I stitch. I'm a mother. I'm your sister or your brother. And it items. I make many. I just might be your
0: As always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can email treacleandink at hotmail.com. You can find show notes for this episode and all of the other episodes on the blog at treacleandinketsy.wordpress.com. You can find me on Ravelry and Facebook under the name Treacle and Ink. You can also join the Craft Life group in Ravelry, and you can find me on Twitter as Craft Life. Join me in the next episode when we'll venture into the scary side of crafting. Until then, thanks so much, and have a great week.